It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Victor Hugo once said, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? How did Jesus' resurrection change both heaven and earth? Our theme text, Philippians 2, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. Okay. <clears throat> How did Jesus' resurrection change both heaven and earth? Joining us also today uh, with our podcast is Julie. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. Happy to be here. Thank you. Good to have you here. Let's yes. take a look at what's coming up in today's podcast. We all love the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection changed things. Find out how things in the spirit realm dramatically changed because Jesus died and was raised. We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes. What is the future of the spirit realm relating to the battle between good and evil? We're going to look at that battle and the sweeping changes in store in the future in about 30 minutes. And finally, as a result of Jesus' sacrifice, what will planet Earth look like in the future? We're going to paint that picture for you, and it is an amazing picture. We're going to paint that picture in about 45 minutes. But before all of that, let's first put things in perspective. As Christians, we unequivocally herald the death and resurrection of Jesus as being the absolute centerpiece of our faith. Further, we claim that the entire purpose of our Holy Bible is focused on these events and its primary, as its primary message. These descriptions are overwhelmingly accurate. But why? Well, many Christians will answer that, well, we're saved as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, and this is true. Others will say that these events, Jesus' death and resurrection, are proof of God's loving plan for humanity, and this is true as well. So now let's take the time to look at the spectacular events of death and resurrection through a different lens. Let's observe them through the lens of change. What changed and what will change in heaven as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? What changed and what will change on earth as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? The answer on both counts is amazing. It's plenty. Grab the free CQ Rewind show notes on our website and app for this week, because there we're going to recommend other episodes that go into more detail on what we're going to mention now. Things like ransom, restitution, angels, demons. It's worth digging deeper in your studies. But the main one I want to recommend now is episode 1100, Do People Turn Into Angels When They Die? That's a good companion podcast to the one we're working on right now. Okay, so let's dig right in here. What has changed here on earth as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? What has already changed? Well, we're going to take a look at the context of our theme text. Jonathan, you read Philippians 2.10 to, to, to start the podcast. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 is going to help to set the table for this conversation. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, 
Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Rick and Julie, clearly, this is saying that Jesus was willing up his spirit nature and be changed to the lower level of a perfect man. And that unique change of nature was special because it never happened before. Jesus was the first. So it's interesting. It says he emptied himself, taking on the form of a, of a bondservant. So the, the idea is he left something entirely behind. He left that spiritual nature entirely behind, and he became a man. He found it in the appearance of man, and he humbled himself to the point of death as a man. So this is an amazing changeover that had never, ever, ever been seen uh, before. This is the, the, the context of what happened as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus pays the price. He's obedient to the point of death, the death on a cross. Because this ransom was paid, the process of restitution could now be revealed. And this process of restitution means now the clear message of the plan of redemption would be spoken. There is a different, fuller message that now comes out of the scriptures, and we see that in Romans 5, 18 and 19. Jonathan, let's just do 18 first. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. So you have the ransom there. One man brings condemnation to all. His name was Adam. One man brings justification of life to all. His name was Jesus. So you've got the ransom piece, but that's not the whole story. Verse 19 tells the rest. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. See, so we have the ransom price paid in verse 18 and the restorative work of being made righteous in verse 19. It's a very important connection between the two. Why did Jesus become a man, though? To be the exact price required by God's justice to bring salvation. Restoration couldn't happen without the ransom being paid. Jesus would take the place of sinful Adam. For great explanation of this, check out our CQ Kids video, two-minute animated video called Why Did Jesus Come to Earth? And Rick and Jonathan, I heard a great analogy during a Bible study this past Sunday. Think about using the undo arrow or control Z on your computer. You type something and undo it to put you back where you started. Yep. Jesus's death and resurrection will not only put things back to where they started with mankind living in harmony with God on a perfect earth, but this time without the benefit or with the benefit of the experience of sin. And as we go through our lesson today, we're going to see that that undo button will do so much more than just restore what was lost. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a rebuilding process. And we're, right. we're focusing on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Folks, I know, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you now, and we're going to really prove it through Scripture throughout the podcast, it changes everything on every level conceivable. This is, this is bigger than, than most of us have ever, ever, ever thought about. So you got you to stay with us through this. Okay, so we've got the ransom and restitution process talked about in Romans 5, 18 and 19. Now this message, this gospel, this new message— was to be preached throughout the world. And this preaching of this new message would trigger the call of discipleship. Again, something very unique in Scripture. Luke 24, 45 to 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus is it, it is written, 
that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, rise again the third day, go out and preach. You've got to send the word out. That's what the gospel is. Gospel means good news. This triggers discipleship from all nations. So the preaching and living of this message, this, these are the changes that happened as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. The preaching and living of this message would be driven by God's Spirit dwelling in the true followers of Jesus. Now this is, again, something entirely new and different. This enabled the begetting of the Holy Spirit as a new way of life. And Jonathan, let's go to John 14, 15 through 17 for that. And this is the Rotherham translation. If ye be loving me, my commandments ye will keep, and I will request the Father, and another advocate will he give you, that it may be with you age abidingly, the spirit of truth which the world cannot receive, because it beholdeth it not, nor getteth to know it. But ye are getting to know it, because with you it abideth, and in you it is. So when Jesus was resurrected, we're assured here that he requested God allow his faithful followers to have a comforter, this spirit of truth, which is God's power and influence to help them on their Christian walk. We talked about this in great detail last week, episode 1171. How did Jesus prepare his disciples for his death? Okay, so Jesus advocates to have this other comforter, God's spirit, and the point of it is it dwells within true Christians. The indwelling of this spirit in Jesus' disciples creates, creates a very new relationship with God, and that's the relationship of sonship. Again, because Jesus died and was resurrected, this is possible. Unless he died and was resurrected, this doesn't happen. This kind of relationship, this sonship, could not have existed with sinful humanity. So Romans 8, 14 and 15 very kind of casually lets us know, hey, something really new is going on. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So what we have here is this becoming a son of God. Is that a big deal? Yes. Why? Amen. <laughs> well, because who was the only other son of God? Well, you had Adam. He was called a son of God, and Jesus himself called the son of God. Was Abraham or Moses or David called sons of God? No. No, they got to be friends or servants. Right. Never sons. So you have a unique relationship. How does it happen? Because Jesus died and was resurrected. Well, that's why Jesus taught us to pray. Remember, our Father who art in heaven, that gives us that permission to become a son. That's a big deal. It's a much bigger deal than we often think about, and it only happened because Jesus died and was resurrected. Because the call to follow Jesus went out to the world, the walls of partition separating Jews and all other peoples could now be broken down. And we see that in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. 
No, I like this because we have now this family relationship with God through Jesus as our advocate. It's why we hear people referring to Jesus as our elder brother. Right. You know, it's a, we're, we're part of sonship with him. Yeah, it says heirs according to the promise. You don't inherit unless you're part of the family. Sons of God is a distinct privilege only available because Jesus died and was raised and the call went out. So all of the called, chosen, and faithful are part of a new priesthood. It gets even bigger. It gets even more dramatic. They're part of a new priesthood whose role in this world is to be faithful to their calling as preparation for their work, which will be in the next age, and we're going to get to that next age later on in the podcast. But for now, we're going to look at the way the called-out ones are referred to, according to Scripture, again, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You did not receive mercy. Now you have received mercy. Okay, there's so much in that verse, we're only going to just gloss over it, unfortunately, but the idea is you are identified in a different way, because you are doing a work of God that was not available before Jesus. Because Jesus died and was raised, this beautiful work is now available. So Jonathan, as we wrap this up, just sum up, how has the world changed as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? Jesus' faithfulness triggered the call of discipleship, the begetting of the Holy Spirit, and the clear message of the plan of redemption. These changes would be processed through a 2,000-year period of time. Though they are world-altering events, they would be largely unnoticed by most. See, now that's important to realize. There's a lot of pieces that, that are moving that have changed, but most people have no idea what has happened and what is happening. So Jesus opened up a whole new calling to a whole new group of people to be part of a whole new message. How did Jesus's death and resurrection change what happens in the spiritual world around us? Okay, something different now. Obviously, there's much we don't know about the state of the spiritual world around us. Remember, there is a light-filled spiritual world as well as one of darkness. What we do know from Scripture is that several marked changes have happened and continue to happen as a result of Jesus' ransom. So in this segment, we're going to specifically focus on what has changed in the spiritual realm as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, Rick, what do you mean by spiritual realm? Do you mean heaven? Okay, that's a good question. And, and, and spiritual realm, we use that instead of using the word heaven for a very specific reason. We're defining spiritual realm as anything outside of the physical world that we know and understand. So the spiritual realm is the realm in which demons exist. And yes, they do exist, in which Satan exists. So you have good and evil within that spiritual realm. You've got the light of God, and those who represent him, and the darkness of Satan, and those who represent him. All of that is what we're calling the spiritual realm. So the big question for this segment is, what has already changed in that spiritual realm because Jesus died and was raised? So let's get back to the context of our theme scripture to further set the table. Let's go, Jonathan, back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Well, Rick and Julie, God did not return Jesus' name to him that he had previously in the spirit realm. He gave him a greater name and elevated him to a higher level. And we've got a really plain scripture for this. Remember John 5, 26, it says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. This is big. It is. It, it, it's, it's big. It bestowed on him the name which is above every name. It's a new delivery of a new level of new honor in the heavens. It's had, like the divine nature, just like yeah. God himself. It had never happened before. It's completely unique. The height to which Jesus is glorified is, is just an entirely new thing that had not been seen. So that's one of the things that has already changed in the spirit realm, but there's much more. Because you have that happening, the death grip that Satan holds on to this world with is beginning to be pried loose. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, it says he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's kind of a past tense. We've been pulled out of the domain of darkness. This is the first indication that Satan will not maintain control of humanity because he's lost control of the followers of Jesus. He no longer can control them. They're not under the thumb of sin and death anymore because they're under the ransom of Jesus. So this is an indication that something in the spiritual realm has changed in terms of control and power. What does this do? Well, let's take a look at this. For the first time in biblical history, heaven itself is being prepared to receive sons of God from the earthly realm. This has never happened before. And how does this happen? Three guesses. You don't need three guesses. There's one answer. Jesus died and he's raised. John 14, verses 1 to 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Rick and Julie, heaven is having a renovation. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Jesus is preparing a place for his followers. Heaven is changing for the better. Can you imagine what the angels are thinking? It's exciting. Well, and this was a personal invitation to Jesus's footsteps followers to be with him in heaven. This heavenly reward had never been offered or promised to anyone before. You know, Jonathan, you read that scripture that said we are heirs according to the promise. Part of that inheritance is to also change natures from dying as a human being to being resurrected as a divine spirit being. This is what's offered to the true church. And again, something that could not have happened unless Jesus died and was raised and given the glory that God gave him. So this is a very positive thing. And whenever there's something positive in the spirit realm at this point, there's a counteracting negative influence that seeks to do its thing. So these preparations prepare a place for you to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus for the, for the true church. These preparations have spurred Satan on to attempt to seek out and destroy those who follow Jesus. We know this by 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 
Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Well, why is Satan after us? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's an interesting thought to think, well, you mean Satan would be after me specifically, and why would that be? Well, and the answer is, if we have answered the call of God to follow Christ, we are part of the culmination of Satan's rule. We are f- part of the ending of that. And do you think if you're him, you want it to go, that to happen? No. So what do you do? You try to attack the weakest points to break up the momentum. What are the weakest points? Human beings. So Satan is looking to devour those who follow after Christ. Make no mistake, you are in his sights, and he wants you down, and he's working harder at this now than he ever has. Why? Because Jesus died and is raised. So Here's the thing. You've got that. You say, oh no, this is, this is dangerous. Yes, it is. But listen, God through Jesus prepares us for this battle. It's a battle that's bigger than we are because Satan has mobilized not just himself, but all darkness that is at his disposal. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. This is really serious. These dark forces are focused on intercepting the trajectory of those who are being faithful or trying to be faithful. So this should help us keep a sacred perspective of how important our maintaining righteousness is in our daily lives. Things much bigger than us are happening out there, and we need to be careful. And, and, and you know, it's not just things that are bigger than us, but things that, that are bigger than us on a magnitude of multiples. If you look at this scripture, it says rulers, plural, of darkness. You know, we're not, flesh and, we're not wrestling flesh and blood, but rulers, plural. Against powers, plural. Against world forces of this darkness, plural. Against spiritual forces of wickedness, plural. In heavenly places, plural. So there is a mobilization that has been activated to try to stop the plan of God. Why? Because Jesus died and was raised. You see all of the things that happened because of Jesus. And we're in the middle of this, and it's an important struggle. And, 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 and you know, you got to say, well, okay, why, why is this struggle? Julie, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you think Satan's getting more desperate as his oh, time, yeah. as this number is up? And that's why we're seeing so many of these evil things happening in our day. Unquestionably. Unquestionably, desperation enters in, and I believe that we will see even further evidences of satanic things happening as the end draws even closer, subject for another podcast. Okay, why such a struggle? Jesus has called out his enemy and prophesied his downfall. These are some very powerful—of course, all the words of Jesus are powerful, but for this subject in this moment— these words in John 12, 27 to 33 are very, very focused on this spiritual battle. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, 
but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. There's a lot in the words of Jesus here. This voice comes from heaven that says God's name is glorified and will be glorified again. And God is, is, is outwardly saying that Jesus is doing his work. And Jesus says, as a result of this voice, the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's not saying, we're in a struggle, we're not sure how it's going to work out now, you know, we're still working really hard. And he said, no, no, no. He says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. There is unequivocal clarity, and Satan is able to hear this. And so you see that this spurs Satan on to try to protect what he believes is his. So all of these things are new developments because Jesus died and was raised. And even they are new developments for the angels of light because God's plan had taken the giant step of the ransom being paid, as we talked about earlier, things previously unknown, previously hidden in prophecy, are now being uncovered and being sought after. Listen to this scripture, especially the ending part of these verses, and it gives you a sense of something else that has changed and developed in the heavenly realm. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as to as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, there's a lot in this verse, and it's basically talking about this salvation, prophets who prophesied wanted to know what this was all about. This was this was somewhat mysterious back through the ages. And now once Jesus dies and is raised, suddenly all of these things that have been in place for all of those generations are starting to make sense. They're coming to light. And they are so magnificent in their unfolding. This scripture tells us that even angels want to look into this. They're, they're looking at it, and I don't know what they're thinking, but the idea that they're wanting to look into it is telling us that they, there's a fascination with just how God's plan is unfolding. How come this is happening? Because Jesus died and was raised. He changed everything on every level. Further explanation of the role uh, the, the spirituality that has a positive change here is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Well, not only apostles, but think about this. We, followers of Jesus, are witnesses to God's holy angels by our lives, we have become a spectacle both to angels and men. The spirit realm is watching God's plan unfold. It is. It is. And it's, it's an amazing thing. When you're a spectacle, you are something that people look at with great interest, maybe even sometimes uh, uh, awe and shock. You know, it's like, wow, that's something big. It's not just a, you know, you're just reading a headline and say, you know, well, that was boring. I mean, a spectacle. It's something that jumps out at you. 
that's where we are in relation to, to these things. And the spirit realm is observing. The dark side is observing to try to stop it. The side of light, those who support God himself and his plan, are observing to cheer it on, to see how it unfolds, to look at the, at the magnificence of how God's plan works in us. I mean, think about that. How could that possibly happen? Because Jesus died and was raised. That's how. That's how. So, Jonathan, let's just wrap this up. How has the spiritual realm changed as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? Actually, I'll take that one. Oh, you'll take that one, Julie. Go ahead. Jesus's faithfulness triggered exaltation for him, a warning of pending destruction for Satan, an all-out onslaught of the powers of darkness to stifle the faith of the disciples, and a sense of awe and respect for God's plan from the angels of light. There's a lot of changes going on in the spiritual realm. There are, and we need to be able to look at that and to appreciate the incredible value of what changes right here and now because of what Jesus did all those years ago. It's really remarkable. It's surprising to see the amount of activity and change happening in the spiritual realm. It is a real conflict happening. With this spiritual warfare raging now, what will the spiritual realm look like in the future? As far as humanity is concerned, the battle between good and evil has always been ongoing. However, as a result of Jesus' sacrifice, this battle will one day cease. Before we look at the future of our earthly home, let's first look at the spiritual realm and track what we know will come to pass there. So we've been looking at what has happened in the earthly realm because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we looked at what has happened, what is happening in the spiritual realm as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, now we're going to look at the future. What will change? What will happen in the spiritual realm as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection? And the answer is amazing things are going to happen. So let's go back to our theme text, and that can tell us what to look forward to. So Jonathan, now we're actually going to go to the theme text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Okay, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Under the earth, really? <laughs> you know, and what it's saying is nobody's left out here. What it's saying is all are included, even those who are still in their graves. Every knee will bow. And the, the idea of being still in their graves means, gives, you, gives you the implication that there is a raising, and we're going to talk about that in just a few more minutes. Okay, So we see that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's future. Okay, And now we're going to look at that and say, okay, let's focus on the spiritual realm part of that equation as we go through this particular segment. So um, the, the idea of this overwhelming adherence to God's ways is not just something that's taught in the New Testament. There are loads of prophecies that give us an idea of what is going to happen on earth and in the spirit realm. And one of those scriptures is Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. What does that mean, to, that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth? Okay, it, you know, it's not like saying, well, the earth is going to be, you know, bulldozed out of the way and a new planet is going to be pushed in its place. 
the new earth is going to be the new environment of earth that will be governed by the spiritual environment, the spiritual heavens. You know, the idea of heavens is not the sky. In Scripture, oftentimes when we look at heavens, we look at the, the ability to have structure from on high coming down and being reflected. And that's what the new heavens are. It's this new reflection of God's goodness and God's glory being reflected to everything. Okay. So Jonathan read, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So if that's true, what was the point of the lesson of the permission of evil if we forget everything that happened? Yeah, see, I don't think that that scripture actually means, you, well, you're going to say, oh, did something happen back then that, and I just don't remember? Right. I think the meaning of that scripture is that the things that did happen will remain in your mind, but the appeal of anything that happened in a sinful world will be completely gone. Because you'll see righteousness, you'll see goodness, you'll see God's mercy in full force, and you will have learned the lessons of the past without wanting to carry the experiences of the past forward. So that's what I think it means by it says you're not going to remember those things. It's not that they're out of your ability to recall, it's that they're out of your ability to want there's a okay. big difference, big difference. So in other words, hear. mankind is going to love these ways of righteousness so much that they're not going to want their old ways of addiction exactly. and lust and selfishness exactly. because things like that aren't worthy of being remembered in comparison with these new better things. Right. You're right. Everyone will be so engaged in the new heavens and the new earth that they won't dwell on the past. The past is not a memory. It's a lesson. Right. Rick, I was reminded recently that your uncle Steve always used to say, we should name our experiences to help us remember the lessons from them. Yeah, yeah. You know, want, you want the lessons to stay with you forever. Do you want the grossness of the experience? No. And no, that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen, new heavens and new earth. And again, we're going to focus on the new heavens in this segment. Okay, so let's, let's, let's get our focus there. There will be judgment in the spiritual realm of those who did not keep their loyalty to God in place. In other words, you can run from God, but you cannot hide. Jude chapter 1 verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So this is referring to what we call the fallen angels or the demons. And one of our most frequently downloaded episodes is number 1044, How Do Demons Influence Our World? So check that out for additional details. Yeah, you know, and like you said in our prep time before we got on the air, everybody wants to know about the demons. And (laughs) the demons outweighs the angel podcast, but the angel podcast is very good too. Yeah, it's actually better. Okay. Because it gives you a sense of godliness rather than darkness, but it's important to understand some of these things. The point of this scripture is they're held in bonds of darkness until the judgment of the great day. What does that mean? Well, this judgment in the spirit realm is connected, absolutely connected to the day of judgment here on earth. Let's look at John 5, 28 through 30. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I did not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is talking about the inauguration of a resurrection of judgment. 
And that has everything to do with the day of judgment. And again, this is a subject that is grossly misunderstood by many because most of us look at the day of judgment and say, oh, this is going to be horrible. No, this is actually a day of reconciliation. So we want to understand how that works and how the angels, how the, how the spirit realm is connected to that day of judgment that we've always applied to earth. Why is it, does it apply to both? Because Jesus died and was raised. Let's go a little bit further with the understanding of how that will work, okay? So let, let, let's take this day of judgment on earth and apply it to the spirit realm. This judgment of both the spirit and earthly realms comes through Jesus and, and his faithful disciples. It comes through. The, 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 the judgment of the spirit realm and the earthly realm come through Jesus and his faithful disciples. We know that from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? You know, the Apostle Paul is talking about the matters of, of, of life for a moment here. He's talking about just making judgments about things in life that you're supposed to be able to handle. And then he talks about this idea of we will judge angels. And soon, uh, Rick and Julie, the lease of time for those disobedient angels will expire. That lease will not be renewed. And so we see that they're held in these bonds of darkness until the judgment day. And then we see in the First Corinthians scripture that those who are faithful to God through Christ, who have God's spirit in this age, are the ones who will be doing the judging. That's a pretty dramatic change in the spirit realm, if you ask me. That is an enormous change, that now you have a judgment happening by some who were not even in the spirit realm to begin with. How is that possible? Because Jesus died and was raised and he opened up the gospel and the call of the true church and the begettle of the spirit and the, the, the many mansions in heaven. That's how all of this works. This judgment of the world has everything to do with the future work of restitution and refreshing. Such work involves accountability in the mind and action for humanity. How the spiritual judgment works is less clear. We don't know everything about that, but we do know that both judgments— the earthly judgment and the, the judgment in the spirit realm, happen in the same general time frame. What is that time frame? The day of judgment, but it's also a time of restoration. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive, until the period of restoration of all things which were spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. This sounds like a complete overhaul. And God allows darkness its run. He'll flush out those who wouldn't be loyal. And then comes this restoration of all things. We can be assured that this ends clearly and decisively. Yeah, and you know, that's why it's called the restoration of all things. It's not just the restoration of earth. It's not just the restoration of humanity. It's the restoration of all things. God is taking evil, putting it on notice, and then draining it out of the system forever. Again, another scripture on that. We know that Satan himself will be judged and destroyed. We know that from Revelation chapter 20, verses 7, 8, and 10. 
when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you look at that scripture, and I know what some of you are thinking. You keep talking about destruction. This says they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah, that's how it reads. Okay, that's how it reads. But we need to understand language. We need to understand the fact that Revelation is a book of symbols and understand that this tormented, the word for tormented is the word that's also translated, should be translated touchstone. What a touchstone is, is a black stone that was kept at marketplaces. And when someone was paying for their goods, the merchant would take out their touchstone and take the coin that, that they were paid with, and they'd rub the edge of it against that, that, uh, that stone. And if that was a counterfeit coin, the, 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 the residue would be a different color than if it was legitimate. And so the idea of a touchstone is the truth of the matter is revealed. You can't hide from the touchstone. So what this scripture is saying is that the truth of Satan's deception, disloyalty, ego, dishonor will always be put out forever and ever. It will be a, a, it will be a touchstone for all of humanity and all of God's spirit realm to look at and realize this was wrong. This is now over because the idea of fire and brimstone is a symbol not of torment, and we've got podcasts on this, many podcasts on this, but of destruction. God is not one to torture. He destroys evil. He doesn't play with it. He destroys it. That's what will happen to Satan. That's another change coming in the spirit realm in the future because Jesus died and was raised. So, we know that once any and all rebellion against God's sovereignty and plan is defeated, the spiritual realm, as well as the earthly realm, will be back in perfect balance under God Almighty. Back in perfect balance. How do we know? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, and verse 28. Then comes the end, when he hands the kingdom to, the, to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. So every trace of darkness, Rick and Julie, is gone here. And the authority goes back to Jesus, who hands it back to the Father. And I can't help but think about the amount of trust God had to have in Jesus to make sure that it would all be turned over. Uh, being like Lucifer could never have carried out such a mission. And this is why we can wholeheartedly announce Revelation 5, 12, and 13. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven... And on the earth heard I saying, Blessing, honor, glory, and power be to him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So you see that Jesus doing what he did, being who he is, 
dying, giving himself freely, and being raised to this high-level name that had never been given is because you needed to have the, the, the evil washed out, not just of the earthly realm, but of the spiritual realm as well. And that's what Jesus accomplished. So Jonathan, let's wrap up how the spiritual realm will change in the future as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' faithfulness opened the way for a difficult period of testing in the spiritual realm to be completed and for all things to be removed, which are undeniably out of harmony with God. The end result brings praise and honor to God. Okay, there is a dramatic end result, but there's a long process that gets you to that. And that process actually began thousands of years ago with Jesus and interestingly is still working because of Jesus. You know, here's the thing. We usually don't think about the need for the spiritual realm being cleaned up. (laughs) God's plan does cover everything. What does the earth look like when it's all said and done? Will it still be a home for humanity? Planet Earth will very much be home for humanity. Contrary to the beliefs of some, it will not, will not be burned up. What will be destroyed are the present governments and systems, but the Earth itself abides forever. It is on this planet Earth that so many Old Testament prophecies will have their fulfillment. So what we want to spend this final segment looking at is what will change in the future in our world on planet Earth as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. We've seen what has changed in the world, in the Earth. We've seen what has changed in the spirit realm. We've seen what will change in the spirit realm. And now we're settling in what will change on Earth as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection Guess where we're going? Back to Philippians one more time. Our theme text shows us the absolute end result of all of this, and it's all really good. Philippians 2.11. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Rick, how does that play out on earth? And can I add one of my favorite scriptures that might help answer Jonathan's question? I think of Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Won't that be nice to have everybody finally on the same page? Well, yeah, and, and that's really, that's how it, how it unfolds. What you do is you let evil and darkness run its course, and then you replace it with entirely new goodness, godly goodness. That is void of sin and void of death and void of darkness and void of contradiction and void of disloyalty and all of those things. So we're going to use just a a couple of scriptures here, a little bit longer uh, um, texts, but we're going to use just a few scriptures to give a sense, a snapshot of Old Testament prophecy that paints the picture of what earth will look like. First, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 65. We're going to go verses 17 through 25. Now, we've already discussed 17, but then we're going to get into um, several other of the verses. So, Jonathan, let's do Isaiah 65, 17 through 19 for right now. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. 
I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Okay, so, you know, for, let's just pause for a second. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. So does that mean, well, is it, is it just the Jewish nation that you have all this happiness with? No, Jerusalem is the seat of the earthly government. And if God is rejoicing in the seat of all earthly government, you can be pretty sure that he's rejoicing in all of those who are governed by it. This is a big picture, not a small little national picture. This is a universal picture of the earth entirely in, in order with God's uh, will and way. So these verses continue to paint the picture, okay? We, we've got the restoration that we just showed you through the verses. They continue to paint the picture of what harmonious life on earth will look like. The next piece of this harmonious life is the piece of personal responsibility, Personal responsibility will be universal. That's a powerful thought. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 65. Jonathan, let's do verses 21 and 22. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. So it talks about individuals taking responsibility. They will build, they will plant. It's not going to happen another does it for you. You take care of yourself. There's a novel idea for our world, is the idea of personal, full, clear responsibility of, I can now take care of myself. That's the way God created Adam. You think about it. He put Adam in the garden to tend it. He put him there to keep it, to make sure it was in order. He gave him responsibility. We're going back to that same kind of personal responsibility. And it sounds like there's a sense of fairness here, that it's not like I'm going to do something and you're going to be able to take it from me and take advantage of me. And that's, you know, the big thing we see out there in the world, people taking advantage of each other and someone always loses. That's not the way it's going to be. No, no. See, this is an entirely different paradigm, an entirely different paradigm. It's a paradigm to get us to paradise. That's really what it, it comes down to. That's uh, where that was good. <laughs> that's, that's where we're going. All right, so on top of that personal responsibility, there will be a deep connection, a deep connection between God and his human family. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 23 and 24. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Well, that reminds me of how it was in the beginning at the Garden of Eden between God and Adam. See, there's this theme of going back to the same kind of connectivity, the same kind of responsibility that was at the very beginning. This is God's intention all along. So you're right, Jonathan, this idea that God is answering before they even ask How does he do that? Because he's engaged in their every day. That's not what's happening now. Satan is engaged in the every day of the world. Take that out, and here's what you have in its place, this deep connectivity um, between God and his human family. Now, to go further, nature, talk about the Garden of Eden, nature will have a balance not formally thought possible. Jonathan, again, let's go to Isaiah 65, verse 25. 
The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no harm or evil in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Now, this is an interesting verse, because we don't know how this happens. And I will freely admit, I have no idea how this happens, but I do know that within the Garden of Eden, there was not any kind of a destruction uh, ecosystem, okay? There's no destructive ecosystem within the Garden of Eden. God is going to restore that. And you say, well, Rick, that's physically impossible. Oh, yeah? Did you create the earth? Did you create DNA? Did you create the processes? I don't think so. So you don't know it's not possible. What we know is it's in God's hands. And if his verses, the verses in the scripture tells us, it's something to look forward to with great fascination and wonder, as far as I'm concerned. So we can see that this is a snapshot of the world that's just way different. It's like, whoa, this is a different kind of world, and it's a good world. Let's talk about the governing aspect of this. We know we're talking about new heavens and new earth. The governing of humanity will be instituted from heaven. And remember, at this point, you don't have the, the, uh, the, the, the difficulties going on. You've got a clarity of goodness and light from heaven. In Scripture, symbols, in scriptural symbols, mountains often are talked about in, in relation to equaling governments. So we're going to look at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, but keep the idea that mountains equal governments in mind as we go through these verses. Let's do, verse, we'll do it one at a time, Jonathan, verse 1. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Okay, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be the chief of the mountains. The government, the chief of all governments. In other words, peoples will have their ways of, 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 of taking care of their local areas, but the chief government, the highest one, is that of God. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. You can't argue with what that scripture says. So now, what happens as a result of that? Well, because of the resurrection, because of restoration, because of judgment, the people of the world, no matter what their background, will be enamored with God's rule. Now, people laugh at God. Now people say, well, God must be dead. Well, if God is, is so powerful, how come he doesn't? If God is so strong, how come, how come, how come? And the answer is, not yet, not yet, not yet. Here, we're looking into the future. This is a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. So the people of the world will be enamored with God's will. Micah chapter 4, verse 2. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so you say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to where it all happens. Let's go to the seat of this incredible new system. And the word of the Lord comes from where? Jerusalem, because that's the centerpiece. That's the capital of the world, as far as we can understand from Scripture. And that's where they see the goodness of God pouring out. Now what do we see in the world? We see darkness and, and contradiction and, and unrest pouring out. No more. This is a different world. As of, uh, uh, all of this results in the transforming of humanity's former ways of war and conflict to God's ways of productivity and prosperity. And again, 
the idea of Eden needs to come to mind. We're in Micah chapter 4, verse 3. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Can you imagine life without war? No, there's been very few years in the human experience where war hasn't been going on. This scripture is famous for being inscribed on a wall across the street from the United Nations building in New York City. You know, you think about that, you've got this wonderful scripture inscribed on a government building, and you wonder in our world, how long are they going to let that stay? But the the thing to remember, the thing to remember is, it is a prophecy in the Word of God, and the prophecies of the Word of God are not without fulfillment. We may not see it, we may not understand it, doesn't mean it's not going to happen, and that's what this is saying spears into plowshares or swords into pruning hooks or spears into pruning hooks, swords into plowshares. The idea is no more of what once was. You don't need it ever anymore. And the end result of all this, everyone will have the security of knowing God's care and direction. Everyone. And why is that? It's because Jesus died and was raised. Jonathan, let's go to Micah chapter uh, 4, verse 4. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So, you know, you you think, okay, so we're we're taking this in a a lot of ways very, very literally. Now, are they going to actually sit under their own vine and fig tree? Well, maybe. But, you know, the idea of the vine and the fig tree and the idea of the I, the, the, the thought of the scripture is nobody is, can, can make you afraid anymore. There's never going to be a reason for fear any longer. And, you know, Jonathan and Julie, it's an interesting thought to think about. When Jesus in, in John 15 was talking to his followers, uh, and he was talking about the parable of the... Vine and fig tree? Well, the vine. vine? Parable of the okay. vine. Remember, I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine dresser, yeah. Right. Oh, that's so, right. And you have that as a picture of Jesus and the true church. The the fig tree is often referenced in Scripture as meaning Israel, the nation. You've You've got Israel, God's physical chosen nation, in the fig tree, and the vine representing the called out ones of Christ. And the two of them together are watching over and protecting everyone. What a beautiful... Whoa, that's good. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. The world is carefully and fully cared for. So, summing all of this up, all the ravaged results of sin and its destructiveness will be replaced with godly direction. Why? Because Jesus died and was raised. Revelation 21, 1 to 4, and we'll take it in pieces. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, scripturally, you said that mountains were symbolic for governments, but the sea is symbolic for restless, unrestrained masses of humanity, instability, anarchy. And we're certainly seeing those groups today. So in the kingdom, which this time we're talking about here on earth, there's going to be no more sea and that there will no longer be any dissatisfied masses. So that is a powerful, powerful representation that you can't, you can't take lightly. Again, 
Revelation is a book of symbols, and it gives you the sense that no more restless masses of people. And you know how scary a restless mass of a people can be. So you see God's plan overwhelming all of the darkness because of Jesus' sacrifice. God's presence will be with humanity through his chosen people. Revelation 21, let's go on to verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So again, you have this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Is there a city levitating down? No, 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 no. It talks about it being made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. It gives you a sense that this is the governing power of the true church coming down from heaven with Jesus to oversee all of the activities of earth. So what is, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he'll dwell with them. What's the tabernacle? Well, you think about the the tabernacle of God. You know, the tabernacle is a place to worship. And when you think about the tabernacle of God, first of all, the true church is the tabernacle of God's Spirit. So when you you get the sense that the ability to worship God will be amongst all humanity, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances may have ever been, you are in a place where the, the tabernacle of God, the, the will of God is being permeated throughout the entire world. You all have access to So this is the relationship yes, with God yes. between the heavenlies and earth. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and now let's go a little further, pain and sorrow and death will have all passed away. Revelation 21, verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And Rick and Julie, all this being done without compromising free will. What a plan. Yeah, the Ah. the penalty for sin was death and all of the sickness and sorrow and pain that comes with that dying process. And that penalty was never eternal torment. And the man Jesus as a substitution for Adam, he satisfied justice, allowing these prisoners of death to be set free, to be resurrected and have this opportunity to be brought to a clear knowledge of God and what will be required in this new righteous government. So Jonathan, let's wrap this up. How the world will change as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' faithfulness will bring the perfect balance that God has all along intended for his human creation. This balance is only achievable because of the lessons of sin being learned and the debt of sin being paid by Jesus. So folks, this is what we have. We have a clear-cut picture that Jesus coming and living and dying and being raised as a man not didn't just pay for your sins and mine it didn't just pay for the sins of a generation it didn't just pay for the sins of israel he paid for the sins of the whole world and on top of that his death and resurrection also is the catalyst to put in order all of the darkness to to deal with all of the pain and suffering that satan and those who followed him have brought so you see Jesus' death and resurrection are the greatest eternal reach of any single act recorded in heaven or earth. 
because it is he who takes everything that is out of harmony with God on any level of any life form that God has ever created, and he makes it right. That, my friends, is looking at the sacrifice of Jesus through a different lens. Praise God for his son who died for us and everything. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Uh, you, send us your questions in this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels. Coming up next week, how do I cope with overwhelming loneliness? Talk to you then.